0: podcast is brought to you by feel good omega h plus the h is for you the human and the plus is to emphasize our goal of helping you achieve healthier and longer life feel good omega is our first product in the new human line why human line because dogs need healthy happy and mobile people to go out on adventures with and if you don't have a dog in your life you deserve to enjoy a healthy body and sharp mind too I've been taking omega-3s for many years now, but if you are currently not taking them, it may be worth knowing that they are essential and the body cannot make them. Because of the impact of civilization on our food, it would be hard to come across someone who does not need omega-3s as a supplement. Omega-3s are essential to cell repair of the whole body and the organs. They support good memory, brain and nerve function. They reduce inflammation throughout the body without side effects. Omega-3s help cell repair, skin healing and prevent organ disease. They will also make your skin radiant, healthy and hair shiny. Feelgood Omega is essential to maintain heart health, which is obviously very important. In addition, as every product in our lineup, we've meticulously searched for the best ingredients to ensure that the product is top quality, free of toxins and heavy metals, and is also gentle on the planet. Feelgood Omega H Plus is free of GMO, dimethyl sulfate, and we use no methyl alcohol in the extraction process. It is also packaged in glass, which is super important for you and also for the planet. Don't miss out on feeling good. Check out Feel Good Omega H Plus at feelgoodomega-h.com. Again, the website is feelgoodomega-h.com. Hello everyone, this is Dr. Peter DeBias and you're listening to Not Just About Dogs. Today I'd like to talk about steroids. Steroids are drugs that have been used for many decades now and in my opinion they are one of the most dangerous treatments for dogs but also for people. And I would like to talk about how you can protect your dog from the harmful side effects and what to do when your veterinarian or your doctor prescribes them. Just a few days ago, I saw my dentist and was not given very good news. For more than 10 years, I've lived with an undiagnosed hairline fracture in my root and my dentist didn't see the crack on the x-ray and when I finally realized I had to get a second opinion, it was too late to save the tooth. My new dentist and I agreed that an implant was the only way to solve the problem and this is where technology in modern medicine excels. Uh, holistic medicine has to be put aside because if there is a tooth that needs to be removed and replaced, obviously we cannot really heal it with herbs or make it grow again with herbs or homeopathy or other holistic methods. So a few days after the conversation with my dentist, I booked uh, my appointment for a procedure and then the dentist's office called me to pick up Dex. And I was puzzled. I was thinking, is dex what I think it is? As a veterinarian, I know that the word dex is not a dog's name, but a short name, the short name for dexamethasone, one of the most potent and potentially harmful steroid hormones. Are you sure that the doctor wants to prescribe dexamethasone? I asked the receptionist just to make sure that she's uh, she hasn't made a mistake. Oh yes, uh, this is a routine part of proce- the procedure to reduce the swelling, the receptionist replied. As if she was telling me that carrots were a good source of vitamin A. I was... Bewildered. My dentist wanted to prescribe dexamethasone, one of the most powerful corticosteroid hormones, and I knew that based on the essential medical principles, steroids should not be routinely prescribed when one's main objective is good healing and reducing the risk of infections. But I felt awkward and, and I said nothing, except I declined the prescription and decided to record this podcast to make sure that you are aware of what steroids can do and how dangerous they can be for your immune system and for the immune system and the body and health of your dog. On the surface steroids can be seen as a miracle drug for your dog and yourself. When your pup is itchy and you give him or her only a few doses the symptoms go away and the doctor is a hero. Except in most chronic conditions the problem comes back with vengeance and the dose of steroids needs to be increased until they stop working altogether or cause serious side effects. This is not a vicious cycle, but it is a vicious downward spiral. When you give your dog steroids, they suppress inflammation and tissue swelling for a hefty price. I call them the high interest credit card of medicine because they suppress healthy immune response and healing. There is a price to be paid for this fast effect. The immune system inhibition also reduces the body's ability to fight off pathogens and infection, which is another side effect. The body's adrenal glands release small amount of corticosteroids in threatening and challenging situations that are stressful. However, giving corticosteroids as a drug makes any long-term recovery 10 times harder. And I've seen that in practice over and over. If I have a patient with a chronic condition and they have a history of corticosteroid prescription, I know that the treatment will be much more difficult. When steroids are used, the body is unable to respond normally to healing or inflammation or injury or infection. So why do doctors use such treatments? When I graduated from vet school, we were trained to see symptoms as the main problem. Even the names of the medication that we learned to use confirmed this. Anti-inflammatory medication, antacids, antibiotics, the list of anti-drugs could go on. We were not taught that inflammation is a natural part of the acute healing process and that it brings increased blood supply to tissues, nudges us to slow down and rest, and activates the immune system. In summary, acute, not chronic inflammation, helps the body to heal faster. When this part of healing process is suppressed, the health problems recur, and repeated suppression leads to the condition becoming chronic. This is not to say we should not address inflammation in your dog. I'm just suggesting that it must be done by working with the body and not against it. I give you another example, for example, omega-3 fatty acids are as potent anti-inflammatory sources as drugs without the side effects. So this is something that you need to remember that omega-3s are much better in reducing inflammation and not causing any side effects than the anti-inflammatory steroid or non-steroidal drugs. Inflammation is in a way a warning that there is a problem. It can be seen as the caring neighbor that comes to wake you up if your house catches on fire. The steroids can be compared to someone telling you to go back to sleep while your house is burning down around you. In other words, steroids are the sleeping pill for the immune system that should protect your dog from chronic disease, organ failure and serious damage. Two common areas where steroids are commonly used in dogs are skin conditions and ear problems. I guess you may be asking why these drugs are used so often when they cause multiple side effects. I've been in practice for a long time enough to know that chronic skin and ear problems are some of the most challenging conditions in dogs to treat. The unfortunate thing is that the treatment usually focuses on local treatment instead of looking at the whole body, looking at the digestive tract, the liver, the the immune system, a diet, and other possible causes. The other problem is that uh, people want usually a quick fix. They do not have time to feed their dog uh, natural food. They do not have time to uh, look after their dogs in a more holistic way, because they're busy with their kids, with their work and so on. So that puts extra pressure On the veterinary practitioner to solve the problem quickly. Now have you ever heard that for example skin problems and hotspots are frequently related to back injuries? This is often missed and I do have articles that actually talk about this and if you are interested you can go to my website at PeterDeBias.com and look at skin problems or hotspots and you will see how the relationship between The back and the skin happens. On a regular basis I talk to many dog lovers out in the park and they talk to me and many of them are unaware that ear problems may be related to excessive toy or bone chewing or collar injuries, pulling on the leash or toxin buildup. The reason why skin and ear problems often end up being serious, painful and long-term is that The medication that blocks the body's natural healing responses is the mainstay of most treatment protocols. Now, the next thing I'd like to do is to talk about Herring's Law of Cure. Perhaps for a moment you thought that I was talking about Herring's, about fish. But I have something more important to share with you. Dr. Herring was a medical doctor who discovered that every time a medical condition is suppressed with surgery or strong drugs, the body has a general tendency to slide into deeper state of imbalance and more serious disease. However, if you support the body by applying what I call the healing cycle, in most cases, the body heals quickly and efficiently. All we need to do is to eliminate any obstructions, for example, toxins, injurious activity or pathogen, and support the body, give it all the nutrients and nourishment that it needs and also line the spine, making sure that the spine and the energy flow in the body, in the system works well, then the body has the space and the ability to heal on its own. It may surprise you that after me giving you so much information against steroids, there is one and only one condition where I would use them in dogs and it is Addison's disease. This condition is characterized by a partial or complete absence of the natural steroid hormones, due to abnormal adrenal gland function. Now, to say this, even short-term steroids for other conditions can cause long-term harm and side effects in your dog or your own body. Perhaps you now may be asking, what is the solution when a dog has sore ears and itchy skin and needs help? Wouldn't it be okay to give just one short course of medication and then work on the other parts? The answer is simply no. This is the most common case scenario I see. It would be very rare for a dog to die of a skin or ear condition, but there are, in my opinion, many dogs that lose ease of life unnecessarily because they were suppressed with drugs. Now, there are other methods, there are other ways of treating most medical conditions, and it is an illusion, it is a misunderstanding that steroids are the solution, they're not. They're the sleeping pill for the immune system at times when it should be alert and heal the body. You may now be wondering whether antibiotics are okay and why I would be hard pressed to use any steroids or anti-inflammatories in treating dogs. I consider the odd antibiotic prescription necessary. It is important to acknowledge their toxicity, but generally they act more as a crutch and antibiotics are as we know generally overdue so we have to be careful when we use them and whether they are truly necessary. How often have you heard of someone saying that they have a cold or flu and they take antibiotics? Another good example would be wound healing or surgical incision. Uh, there are so many cases where people automatically get a prescription of antibiotics uh, that are not necessary because the body does heal most of the time with, without them. The problem is that if we overuse them, we then generate higher likelihood of antibiotic resistance and when we really need them, they often do not work and we have to deal with superbugs. I would like to say a few final words about steroids and anti-inflammatory drugs for dogs and people. Learning about a holistic approach to medicine is not an overnight task, nor is treating conditions that have been present for months and years. Chronic disease is very difficult to treat. It is in your dog's interest that he continue to learn how to create health and how to prevent conditions from happening because it's much easier to prevent problems than treating them. It is also important that you find a veterinarian that he connect with on a closer basis that you will be able to discussed the particular treatments and conditions without feeling intimidated or ostracized for having a certain opinion or deciding not to use certain medication that you were recommended. Which brings me to the second part of this podcast and that is how to choose the best vet, the forever vet. As an insider to the profession I believe most of my colleagues have gone to vet school because they love animals they want to make a difference and honestly put their patients way ahead of financial gain or any other interest. This said uh, I think it's also important for you to know how to recognize the other smaller group of veterinarians and make sure that you do choose a person that you really click with and that you can work together with uh, on making your animal friends healthy or keeping them healthy. Now, picking the right veterinarian can be hard. It is not easy to find a good electrician or a plumber and choosing a veterinarian for your dog is much tougher. You're not emotionally attached to an electrical plug or bathroom tub, but your dog is different. He or she is your family, your best friend and your life and your choices greatly affect their health. The most challenging part of finding a veterinarian is establishing trust, which can only come with time. And while there are only a few vets whose knowledge is inadequate or who put money in front of their patients' and clients' needs, you need to learn how to recognize them. Many veterinarians still haven't embraced feeding raw diets, minimizing vaccines, and natural supplementation of diet for dogs. And this can create tension between you and your vet. That's why it's so important to establish a good relationship with your veterinarian. When your dog is healthy, it is much less stressful than having to make decisions in an emergency situation. I recommend that you educate yourself by reading articles and taking holistic animal care courses from sources you trust. You can use the information to ask your vet questions to help you make the best decision. If your veterinarian seems defensive, Don't be afraid to gently yet firmly stand your ground and get a second opinion if necessary. Not that long ago, I connected with a retirement planner to see what I can do about my retirement plans, even though I don't really plan to retire, but you never know. Something can happen and I may not be able to work. So I connected with him and I actually got advice and... When I got the advice, I told him that I would like to read up on the topic before making the final decision how to proceed. And he was really upset because he felt that I didn't trust him And he also used an example saying that if he asked me a veterinary question, whether I would be upset if he said that he has to read up on the topic before he makes a decision. And I said, absolutely not. This is what you should do. And this is what we all should do. And this is something that I wanted to remember. Never be afraid of telling your veterinarian that you need more time or you need to get a second opinion. In fact, most veterinarians are used to scrutiny and appreciate your interest in wanting to learn more. They understand how much your dog means to you and that you do anything and everything to help them live a long and healthy life. From my perspective, if a veterinarian objects to your wanting or needing to do more research, it may be a sign of insecurity or some sort of other motives. So be clear about your priorities There is tons of evidence that raw food, minimal vaccines and natural supplements lead to longer and healthier lives in dogs. I've seen it, you may have seen it, and many other dog lovers have. At school, I was taught that an eight-year-old dog is senior, but nowadays I consider an eight-year-old dog naturally raised on raw food or supplements to be middle-aged. That's good enough reason for you to avoid kibble and minimize vaccines and drugs. The problem is, many dog owners feel still intimidated and afraid to stand their ground and say no to their veterinarian. People are also concerned that they might be labeled as crazy or difficult, which is very common. To be there fully for your dog, you need to make your priorities clear. You are your dog's guardian. The best friend and the ultimate decision maker. Your dog is completely dependent on you for their health and well being. And this is why it's so important for you to be strong and informed. Now, communicate your stance clearly. When you start with your new veterinarian, mention you feed or plan to feed raw food if you do, and that your goal is to minimize the use of drugs and vaccines. Make sure that you tell your vet that you hope to stay for a lifetime of your dog as long as you're given the freedom to make decisions for your dog for them. Most vets love the clarity and they won't have a problem with you expressing your intentions clearly. I remember uh, when I worked in Whistler in uh, the veterinary practice there, Whistler BC, the ski resort. I had a lot of uh, European and German clients. And there was one client, <laughs> her name was Trudy. Actually, she is uh, still around in, in Whistler. Uh, she used to come with her dog to the practice and she says, "Pita, this is what my dog has. This is what it is. This is what you're going to do, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> that was very funny because usually we, I knew that I had to be very gentle in making suggestions. Anyway, remember that your dog's veterinarian is not your superior or decision-maker. He or she are the service provider. This is very important because many people seem to be afraid of doctors. This idea of medical superiority has persisted for many decades, perhaps for centuries, but times have changed. There is no reason to be subservient. But it is also important to remember the other side of the coin. Treat your veterinarian with respect and kindness. Every veterinarian will tell you that most clients are great. Unfortunately, it takes only a small number of difficult individuals to make a veterinary practice a nightmare. A few clients leave things to the last minute before they book an appointment and then demand others be bumped off the schedule to accommodate them right away. Out of guilt they often blame their own negligence on the vet. This can be very distressing for a practitioner and it may be one of the reasons why veterinary mental health issues and even suicide are quite frequent. Allow your vet to focus on your animal friend. I once had a client whose cats were upset and not doing well because she was going through divorce. I made a note in the file about this important fact because cats can respond negatively to tension in the family. One weekend, another clinic called for the records. My staff sent them the whole file and the other veterinarian in the practice mentioned that the divorce was in the notes. The client filed a complaint to the college that I was circulating her personal information, threatened me with the lawsuit and requested her records to be legally sealed. Would you believe it? Which meant no one, including me, could open the file again without her permission. I think what the client didn't understand that I did make a connection between her cat's well-being and the situation in the family and I had a full right to make these notes in the file. The interesting part was that a few weeks earlier the same client brought a big box of pastries to thank us for the good work that we've done for her cats and then she threatened me with a lawsuit. Now the incident took a huge amount of time and energy away from my real work when most people would agree that a divorce is nothing to be ashamed of because 50% of the population goes through it. Your veterinarian needs your trust so he or she can go the extra mile for you. Imagine yourself in your veterinarian's shoes. I'm a dog lover too, and every time I help a dog and his people, I imagine how I'd feel if I was on the other side. If you want your dog's vet to be your greatest ally, do the same. Try to see their point of view and then clearly state your wishes, expectations, and decisions with kindness and clarity. The tone of the conversation and your body language is as important as what is being said. At the same time, be prepared to stand your ground. This is the most important part, especially when you're getting ready for your first visit to a new vet because he or she may have a different opinion about vaccines, pest prevention, and pharmaceutical drugs. It may be a good idea that you write your objectives down first so you're prepared for the discussion with your new veterinarian. It may be a good idea to give a brief point form copy of your main objectives to your veterinarian as well and ask them to be put in the file. I want to give you a practical example that may inspire you. In Creating good health of your dog, it is important to protect them against infectious disease, but also minimize the necessary vaccines. Let's say that uh, your veterinarian suggests that your puppy should get three sets of combination vaccines at eight, 12, and six weeks of age. In my veterinary practice, the immunization protocol consists of no vaccines until the age of 12 weeks, This preserves the maternal antibodies, the immunity from the mother's milk that a vaccine binds and destroys. Maternal antibodies can also prevent the vaccine from working. So it's very important to know and understand that vaccination until 12 weeks is really counterproductive. At 12 weeks, instead of vaccinating, I usually perform a tighter so-called antibody test to see if antibodies are present. If they are present, your puppy is protected and it is ready to be socialized with other dogs to build up its own antibodies and acquire social skills. If antibodies are not present, you may consider one vaccine dose and repeat the titer test at five months. If there are no antibodies at that point, consider giving another vaccine for distemper parvo and repeat the titer test one month later. Generally, I do not recommend vaccine boosters unless I see negative titer tests, but even then, adult dogs usually do not get the puppy infectious diseases like pyrovirus or distemper. So let's say that your vet tries to convince you to give your puppy three sets of combination vaccines. In the first phase, I suggest that you explain you'd rather wait until 12 weeks and then take a blood test to see if antibodies are present. And if not, then you will vaccinate to invite a vaccine and check antibodies if they're present again at 5 months. If your vet objects politely decline the vaccines, calmly stating that you've made up your mind and that you'd like them to respect your decision. This should put the issue to rest, but if it doesn't, state you'd like to stay with the practice as long as you're free to make decisions for your dog. If the guilt-tripping continues, I suggest that you change vets or stick with your current one, but stand your ground. Drugs and vaccine companies have a great influence on veterinary education and vets are trained to follow the conventional rules without really questioning them. This is sad, but true. If you would like to read up on the safer vaccination protocol for dogs and puppies you can just go to my website at peterdobias.com and search for vaccines and vaccination. Anyway this is all for today thank you so much for listening and thank you for learning because your knowledge the information that you have and that you can use to make decisions for your dog will hopefully give you the gift of extra time with your best friend. Thank you and give your dog a hug for me.